Good to see you tonight. We appreciate that you're here and that we have this opportunity to now to give our attention to God's Word. I invite you to keep a place there in John 6 as we'll be coming back to it in just a few moments to, uh, to use that kind of as our springboard as we focus upon what Jesus said in verse 67. Uh, after some walked with Him no more, He turned to His disciples uh, to the twelve, to the apostles, and said, do you also want to go away? Uh, and uh, we want to, to, to just remind ourselves of the fact that everyone who heard Jesus, listened to Jesus, did not believe in Jesus. And it's hard for us to fathom perhaps when we, when, when we think about Him being among the crowd that He fed on, on, an, on the day before, and now the following day, this day, if you go back into John 6, you'll see uh, what I'm talking about. This very next day, when they followed Him around, He had walked on the water that night. They had gone around the, the, the Sea of Galilee and found Him the next day and said, Master, when did you come here? And He said, you don't seek Me because you heard the words I spoke. You seek Me because uh, of the food you ate. And, uh, and He talked to them about Him being the bread of life and, and, they are so, and that you have to eat My flesh and drink My blood or you have no part in Me. And they said, this is difficult. Who can understand this? And they complained. They mumbled and murmured. They complained about His Word. They complained about His teaching. They had benefited from His miracle and then they complained about what He said. Now, lest we get all up on our high horse, we're tempted at times to complain about what the Word says too. And we need to be careful that we don't end up being complainers having benefited from the redemption that's in the blood of the Son of God. And so, that's a side lesson. I throw that in for free here. That's not in, that's not in my outline. But, 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 you see, they were primed because their heart wasn't right. They were primed to leave. And we're warned repeatedly, of course, in Scripture about the danger of, of, of turning away from following Christ. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 uh, is the warning uh, to us uh, to, to, to be careful not to develop an evil heart of unbelief and falling away from the living God, but exhort one another and so much uh, the day, uh, and so more, uh, I'm sorry, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So, so there's the, the warning against hardening our heart against sin because of sin and falling away with a heart of unbelief. And, and by the way, in John 6, we'll see that unbelief was at the heart of why they turned away and walked no more. Verses 63 and 64. Peter talks about those who've been, who escaped the defilements of the world. That's us. But he says, here's some who, who were in the corruption of sin like we all were, but they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but they're again entangled therein and overcome. Second Peter 2.20 He says, "...the last state has become worse than the first, for it were better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them." Note that the way of righteousness involves a holy commandment that's been delivered and that's been believed and obeyed. They turned away from it. And falling away, it says, the true proverb has come to pass, a dog returning to its vomit, and a sow that had washed to wallowing in the mire. 
And so the warning is not to, not to turn back to sin's corruption, and yet the reality is that that describes some who will do that very thing. We must be on guard not to be among those who also turn away, go away from Jesus. In 1 John 2, 18 and 19, he talks about the spirit about the Antichrist, about being against Christ uh, that, was, that uh, is in the world already, he said. And, and he, his description was, they went out from us, for they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Now the of us were of the apostles, chapter 1. They no longer walked in the truth revealed by the apostles, the light. They weren't practicing the truth. They were against Christ as a result. They went out from us, but they were of a different nature than us, he said. They, they did not abide in, they did not walk in the truth. They did not walk in the light. And, and so the warning was not to uh, participate with them, not to receive such, because he said that's antichrist, that's against Christ. If we deny the Son, we deny the Father. And there were some who were denying Jesus as the Christ, verses 22 and 23. And he goes on to elaborate in chapter 4, because some were saying He just only appeared to be in the flesh. He wasn't really in the flesh. John says, no, He came in the flesh. And those who teach otherwise are against Christ. They've gone out from us. They've turned away from walking with Him. And on and on in the New Testament, we find the examples as well as the warnings uh, against doing these very things. So, really, the, 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 what we want to, to think about, though, reminding, rem, reminding us of the many warnings and possibilities is why, peop, why is it people turn away from Christ? What are some of the reasons why it happens? We're not going to be exhaustive. We can talk in a very broad sense, but we want to try to focus a little more specifically on some things that Scripture shows us as why uh, people sometimes decide to turn away from following Jesus like they did in John 6. Let's go back there and, and analyze for just a moment why they did there. And it was because they were offended by truth. They, they stumbled. Uh, Jesus said, do you... Uh, um, he knew that uh, they complained about this or they, they were uh, made to stumble. He said, are you made to stumble uh, at this? Does this offend you? Do you stumble at what I say? There's some people who stumble upon what Jesus says. Um, it, it, they're offended by it. Now that you know, today we you know we think well if some if what we say offends somebody then we must have done something wrong. You know, it's our fault if somebody gets offended. Well, the idea of offense here is stumbling, not just oh well that kind of hurt my feelings and I'm offended. And that's not what he's talking about. The idea of offense here is, is they stumbled when they heard the truth. They, they rejected the truth. Fundamentally, uh, they said, who can understand it? But they could understand They just didn't want to understand it. You see, sometimes the Gospel is frankly too narrow, too stern for many people. Amen. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who find it. Walk on it on that path, but narrow is the gate and straighten the way that leads to life, and few are those who find it. The idea of a narrow gate, a straightened way, is it, it, there's a confining element, a confinement that protects us against sin and 
keeps us in the way of righteousness. But that's too stern, too demanding, too narrow, to use Jesus' word. Uh, you know, today it's, it's, a, it's wrong to be narrow, right? But we don't want to be narrow-minded in the sense of obstinate or closed-minded, but we want to walk in the way of truth, and when compared to the way of sin, it is narrow. It is straightened. That is, there, there is with, with difficulty we are saved, Peter said uh, in 2 Peter 2. Uh, uh, no, 1 Peter 4, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 4, in about 17 or 18, I believe. 19. So, what is it that's, that, that is too, too narrow for some? Well, for some, it's how to be saved. For some, that's just, you know, when you start talking about being baptized to be saved, they say, no, that's, that's too narrow. That's, that's, not, that's not what we're going to accept. And they turn away. You know, they, they have a theological concept so ingrained within them by centuries of error that, that they are unwilling to accept the simple words of Jesus. That he that believes and is baptized will be saved. So ingrained within them is a heart that, that says faith only saves that when you point out what Jesus said, they say, no, that's, that's too, they stumble at that. They fall upon that. They say, we're not going to follow. They turn away. Not realizing they're turning away from the very source of salvation. Some, some though, some brethren turn away from attending worship. That's too strict, too stern to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so, worship becomes only occasional to them rather than the priority of, of life. Of, of, and we talked some of that this morning. I mean, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, the commandment of God is clear. And the reasons for God giving us that are also very clear because it's an opportunity to honor God. But to some, that's, that's, that's too stern. And they don't walk that path. They fall away. That passage goes on to talk about if we sin willfully after we've received a knowledge of the truth. It is a knowledge of the truth not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. God wants us to assemble to worship. If my heart's not right about assembling to worship, that's not my excuse not to worship. That's my incentive. I better get back with the people of God and with honoring God and get my heart right with God. I need to be here so my heart can express what needs to be expressed and I can learn to grow in my heart toward God. God's will that I be here, but that's that's too confining to some, and, and the list goes on. I, we spend the rest of our time looking at all, all those things that, that time and again we hear people saying, "Well, it's just that's too narrow. You need to have women preachers. You're too narrow. You need to have the instrument of music. You're too narrow. This one church business. You're too narrow on divorce and remarriage. You're too narrow about uh, about morality, and on and on. But you see, in John six. That was put in a very simple way. Jesus called it unbelief. Look at look at sixty three. He says, "The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe." Now, what's going on? He's talking to the very ones who stumbled when he spoke truth, and they said, "This is this is too hard. Who can understand it? Who can accept it?" 
Who can abide this kind of teaching? He said, I know, who does, uh, I know the ones of you who don't believe. Don't you suppose that they were among the ones who turned back and walked with Him no more? They didn't believe. When we don't accept truth, you see, when we are unwilling to acknowledge that what He speaks is spirit and life, then that amounts to unbelief. We've got to love truth more than we love the pleasures of sin. Revelation 21.8, it is the unbelieving who were lost. And so it was in the very first century and to this moment. Some people turn away and walk with Jesus no more because they were offended by truth. They stumble upon truth. It's before their eyes and they simply will not receive it. The parable of the soils explains why. Because of the conditions of our heart. Our heart has to be right. We've got to have the right heart or we will not long we will not be long for, for doing the will of God. We'll become hypocrites pretending to be something we're not. And, and, and that certainly exists and occurs. Because you see, we think there's some payoff somehow or another that we can, be, we can pretend to be something we're not spiritually and benefit, but we won't benefit, not in the outcome, not in the end. We too have become among those who are simply offended by truth and unwilling to shape and conform our hearts to truth and our lives then to walk the narrow path that leads to life. That's why some turn away. That's why they did in John 6. That's why they continue to do so. The warning is for us not to do that. Not to develop within ourselves a heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. And that's an important verse in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. You and I can develop an evil heart of unbelief. It's possible. And we have to guard against it. Well, now another reason, and this no doubt could contribute to developing such a heart of unbelief, is fear. Sometimes we, we turn away from following Jesus because of, of fear. Fear, and you know, Jesus said, don't fear man, but fear, fear God. But nevertheless... Um, the illustrations are, are, you know, are very apparent in Scripture that sometimes it was fear that prevented people from following Jesus, following with Jesus. In Matthew 26, before the arrest of Jesus, in verse 31, Jesus said to His apostles, all of you will be made to stumble before, because of Me this night. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So they were going to all be made to stumble. Uh, they were going to take offense. Uh, they were going to flee. Peter said, oh no, not me. No, Lord. Even if all are made to stumble, I will never be made to stumble. And of course, Jesus tells him, you'll do, you'll do it three times, Peter, before the rooster crows twice and, and, uh, or crows that night. And, and sure enough, we know that that happened. Peter, of course, all the apostles fled from the garden when Jesus was arrested, verse 56, it says, This was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled and all the disciples forsook Him and fled. They were afraid. They were afraid. Peter was afraid. He lied. Denied knowing Jesus three times. And, and certainly at that moment, was stum- he stumbled. He stumbled. 
Well, you see, we can be afraid of what's going to happen to us. And that cause us to turn away from Jesus. We have to choose our Master. We have to choose who we're going to serve. Jesus said we can't serve two. We're going to have to choose the one we're going to serve. In Revelation 13, the figure that John uses there, uh, and the pictures that he paints, the picture he paints about this, this, sea, this beast that rises out of the sea, this ruling authority, Roman Empire, I, I believe, in his application, but there's a principle here that uh, applies that, 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 that he said in the process of, of the oppression that this beast would bring upon the people of God, that he would cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. There's going to be, you, you, they're going to be identified with him and the blessings he, would, he or it would give this ruling power of Rome. And it says, no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark of the, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So, so there would be people who would, who would turn away from Jesus and, and follow the beast, if you please. Follow the, the, the Roman Empire that would, yield, would, would say, Hail Caesar and, and honor Caesar as God. And they'd be allowed to buy and sell. They'd, they'd be able to do business and, and survive but, uh, in, a, in, a, in a normal way. But, but those who said, no, I'm going to worship Jesus, I'm going to honor Him, and, and didn't bow the knee and pinch the incense to Caesar, they chose their master and it brought oppression. Now, you think fear had anything to do with, with keeping some from following Jesus? Fear of, of not just losing their business, but fear of losing their lives. It was happening in the first, second, third centuries. It's still happening in places around the world. Choose your master. Fear can keep us from doing right. And it doesn't have to be the fear of losing our life. It could be some lesser fear. We need to remember the assurance of Jesus. Jesus assured those in in, uh, uh, Smyrna, wasn't it? Revelation. I'm sorry, I just lost the name, but I think it's... Smyrna, yes, in Revelation 2 and 10, he said, don't fear the things that, are about, that you are about to suffer. You're about to suffer, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He said, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison and you're going to be tested. And you'll have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death. That is to the point of death. And I'll give you the crown of life. So, fear is removed by faith. In Jesus Christ. We don't want to be afraid of men when we do what's right because we trust in Jesus and we endure. Even though, and the first century, the New Testament is full of, again, these examples of people who were persecuted and oppressed. The church was scattered in Acts 8th chapter, persecuted because of their faith, but they endured and they would not allow fear to overwhelm them. When, when people did, they turned away from Jesus. Well, let me go on to another reason why some turn away from following Jesus, and that's love of this present age. The love of this present age. Second Timothy 4 and verse 9, Demas has forsook me, having loved this present world, or really the idea is this present age, the time in which he lived. Now the word world there is, is a different word in the Greek language from love not the world, nor the things in the world. Cosmos. 1 John 2. 
This this verse and the other, next one we have Romans twelve two is the word that in some places it's, it's translated forever or the age. You see, it's age. This present age. This present age presents temptations to turn us away from Jesus. Now, let me let me demonstrate that from Mark the fourth chapter. You remember the thorny soil, the soil, the seed of the kingdom, the gospel came, fell in, fell, fell, falls on hearts that uh, in which it is choked out. Well, what chokes out the word there in Mark fourth chapter in verse eighteen? Jesus said, "These are the ones that's sown among the thorns, and the ones that these are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this." World, there's age again, the cares of this age, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. What are the cares of this age? Start making a list. Not any different than that age of the first century. A care for survival, a care for what am I going to eat, what am I going to drink, what am I going to wear, how am I going to succeed. What am I, what's my business about? You know, let's go to this city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, and we forget the will of God because it's our will. The cares of this age can consume us and pull us away from Jesus. It happened to Demas. The deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. These things, it's the attractions and affections of this present world. And that's why Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 2, do not be fashioned according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be fashioned by this present age, by its values, its, its uh, attractions, what it holds valuable to it. No. Transform your thinking. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable will of God. Not the will of the age, the will of God. Not the people around us, but what God wants. You see, the people around us are deceived because they don't have a love for truth and they love the pleasures of unrighteousness. And that chokes the Word. And then what Jesus said, the desire for other things. Where is our desire? You see, if our desire is this present age, we will turn away from walking after Jesus. Because He says that we've got, we've got to choose Him first. We've got to wake up spiritually. We've got to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make provisions for the flesh. We've got to change our thinking, not accommodate ourselves to this present age. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to say, no, I'm not going to be led to hell by the thinking and conduct and values of this present age. When we do, we don't follow Jesus anymore. And turn turn and, and, and go away from Him. Well, surely hard hearts cause us to go away from Jesus. Uh, and actually, 28th chapter is an illustration of this, this. We don't turn to this passage as often as we do a passage like Matthew 16, uh, 15, but it really is, it uses the same, uh, some of the same ideas in action as Paul preaches the Gospel in Rome to a Jewish audience. And he, it says that he, they appointed a day, they came and met Him, and to whom He explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, 
persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning until evening. He took the Old Testament Scriptures, He explained them, He persuaded from them about Jesus, that He's the Christ, the Son of God. And some were persuaded by the things that were spoken, and some disbelieved. Like John 6, some were persuaded. Peter said, to whom else shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. On this day, some were persuaded, but some disbelieved. You see, unbelief is at the heart of a hardened heart. When a heart becomes hard, it it really demonstrates unbelief. And as that verse goes on to describe that, but uh, uh, about the hardened heart of Isaiah six nine and ten, if we harden our heart against truth, we will turn away from Jesus. Sin hardens our heart. We already looked at that. Hebrews three and verse thirteen. Envy on uh, in in the heart hardens it. In Acts thirteen forty four through forty six, when the Jews of Iconium of of uh, uh, yes uh, Iconium, Jews and I'm sorry Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia, when the Jews heard the apostles preach there, Paul uh, and uh, and Barnabas preaching there, it says they were filled with envy, and they contradicted and blasphemed. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. When a heart's full of envy and jealousy toward others, we, we walk away from Jesus. We walk away from His truth. False teaching hardens the heart. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. The Spirit says expressly in later, latter times some will fall away from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, having their consciences seared as with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and abstaining from meats. So that so they're driven, they're, they're, their conscience is seared. There's no feeling in their hearts. Well, the false teaching they gave themselves to was falling away, falling away from the faith. You know, First Thessalonians five one through three says we can have a false sense of security, a false sense of time and security that hardens our hearts. Think about that. Paul said. Uh, that concerning the times and seasons, you have no need that I write to you, for you know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains on a, pre- on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. When they're saying peace and safety, when, they're fe- when, when we feel comfortable and have a sense of security, not because we're in truth, but because we're simply satisfying ourselves rather than remembering God, He says, we're going to be unprepared for the return of the Lord, for the day of the Lord. He says, now you brethren are not going to be like that because you're children of light. You're sons of the day, He goes on to describe. And so we have to live that way. But if we stop living that way, we start feeling like we've got a sense of of safety and security, and we have plenty of time, and then we've shifted our point of focus, and eventually the heart gets hardened. We start feeling secure in ourselves rather than secure in the Word of Jesus. So we've got to keep an open heart. How are we going to avoid walking away from Jesus? We keep our heart supple to His Word. Keep a heart that's able to be touched by what the book says. Look at you remember Lydia in Acts 16 and verse 4, uh, 14? 
she didn't, you know, you know, anytime we just come to the Bible with our mind made up, then we're, we're not going to be touched by truth. We come to, you know, and many of them, they were hardened. They walked away. It's just too hard for them because it didn't fit into their concept. Why, you're supposed to be a king, Jesus, that feeds us every day and, and runs the Romans out of our land. And you're talking about being a bread of life that we're supposed to eat you? <laughs> That's too difficult. That's too strange. Now, Lydia, it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now, how does the Lord open your heart? He, does he, is that some miraculous activity He's describing there? I don't think it is. He opened her heart the same way He'll open anybody's heart, and that's by the preaching of the Word of God. What Paul spoke the Word. He was speaking some things, and God opened her heart to obey it. Why? Because she was persuaded by that Word. Whereas those Jews in Acts 28, some of them were not persuaded. They had hard hearts. She had an open heart. We're gonna, and of course, she obeyed the gospel and was saved. Open our hearts. Second Corinthians seven two says, "Open your hearts to us, to the apostles." We got to open our hearts to God, to His Word, or we'll turn away from Him. We'll develop an evil heart of unbelief, and we will fall away with hardened hearts. We talked about this concept this morning, so we just. Briefly mentioned it here. Refusing to sacrifice causes us to walk away from Jesus. A young rich ruler, he came to Jesus and said, what still do I lack? I've kept the commandments. What do I lack yet? And Jesus said, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And when he heard these things, when he heard the word of Jesus about sacrifice to put Jesus first before his possessions, he said, no. He walked away. He turned away in sorrow and followed. He didn't follow Jesus. Now, when the apostles heard that, they said, well, then who can be saved? Because they had yet failed to grasp the concept that God doesn't measure things by, by, by the possessions of the world, but by a heart that is responsive in faith and obedience to Jesus, to His Gospel, to His will and Word. And so Jesus said, with man it's not possible that... Uh, you know, He said, it's, it's, as Jesus in that text... Matthew 19, 23-26 says, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, they said, well, who can be saved? He said, with God, with man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's possible for God to save the rich man. It's possible for God to save the poor man. Whether rich or poor, we're going to have to have a heart that submits to Jesus. That sacrifices ourselves, everything we have and everything we are, to Him. And to lay up treasure in heaven. The ease of life that wealth offers us becomes a temptation to turn away from sacrificial living. And that's what we, we spoke some to this morning about Jesus giving up the ease of life here on earth. The easy lives we have tempt us not to be sacrificial. And yet Jesus said, or through His Apostle Paul, He said to tell those who are rich in this life not to be high-minded or to set their, 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 their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set their trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. 
Be ready to give, willing to distribute, laying up for yourselves a good hope, a good foundation for the time to come to lay hold of eternal life. So, we've got to be willing to sacrifice whatever is standing in our way of putting Jesus first and not be like the rich ruler who unwilling to let go of certain things because in, in effect, whether we realize it or not, what we're, we're doing then is we're turning away and walking no more with the Lord. You know, sometimes people turn away and walk no more with Jesus because they, become, they grow discouraged and weary. They get discouraged living the life of a Christian. Not, not taking of the present age. Not, not running with all the people around them. Galatians 6 and 9, the Apostle said, "...let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we don't faint." So we're supposed to not grow weary in doing good. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says... We're to keep on fighting the good fight of faith. Don't grow weary. 1 Timothy 6.12 Remember Jesus and the reward that He received so that we don't become weary. Hebrews 12 and verse 3. He said, Consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Sometimes we struggle against discouragement. Sometimes we struggle against does it matter? Does it make any difference? Those are the times we need to look unto Jesus, verse 2. The author and finisher of our faith. Those are the times not to turn away from Him, but to draw closer to Him. Revelation 2 and verse 3, like the Ephesians, whom Paul, uh, whom Jesus commended there, he said, You have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. This is the ground we want to we want to occupy. To persevere patiently, enduring, working, not turning away in discouragement. Stand fast in the faith. As much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord, it is not in, it is not useless. It will bring an eternal blessing, glory, and reward. Turning back from Christ is unbelief. That's what it is. Hebrews ten thirty five and six says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Cast it away because you're in a moment of discouragement. Don't cast it away by refusing to sacrifice for Christ. Don't cast it away by developing a hard heart. Don't cast your confidence away by loving the present age or being offended by the truth revealed in the Word of God. Don't throw it away. He says you have need of endurance. We all do. We have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Doing the will of God patiently and enduringly. For we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We're not going to draw back. We're not going to turn away and walk no more with Him. 
And when he asked the question, will you also go away? We'll speak as Peter did on that occasion. To whom will we go, Lord? There is no other. You have the words of eternal life. Enduring faith is what He wants from us and what we commit ourselves to. Hebrews 10.38, in that same text, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If we draw back, if we turn away from Him, God has no pleasure in us. He's not going to reward that. We're not going to go to heaven with that. We cannot turn away from Jesus, walk away from Him, and have any expectation of glory. So, as we let the Word of God explain to us why people walk away, it also warns us how to prevent that. And I hope that this lesson has helped us accomplish that as we go through the Word of God and go back to this often to realize all of us are susceptible. All of us are tempted and tested. But we we choose to live by faith. We have our life because of faith and we endure with a faith under the saving of the soul. If you're lost, you need to be saved. Your soul needs to be saved. That begins with the confession of your belief that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe it, confess it. And repent of your sin against Him. And be baptized into Him for the remission of your sins. That's just the beginning. To then conform your thinking no longer to this present age, but to the will of God. To live it day by day. If we can help you accomplish that, to be saved or as a Christian, to right the ship, to return to Jesus if you've turned away from Him, through repentance and confession of sin, He'll receive us. And we urge a response to Him in faith while together we stand and we sing.